Our producer Jillian is here. Uh, she said she had a, a recent problem. So I was having a conversation with a big group of people the other week, and I didn't know the people very well. So okay. I was a bit trying to be pretend to be a nice person. And one person was explaining that theory where if a horse is standing on two legs, the person riding it on a statue died differently. Yeah. Standing on three legs. Like if the horse has one leg up, the guy died in battle or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we all know that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And I knew it wasn't true. And everyone around me was nodding. And the person was really into telling their story. And I just didn't say anything because I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. Wanna it doesn't old. it doesn't look good to correct someone. No. Especially someone you barely know. Yeah, I'd met this person like 5 minutes previously. Mm. Not and good. They must be really dumb. So, I'm wondering is there a good way of telling someone they're wrong without making them hate me? We really need the right person, the absolute most qualified person for this. Angela Dickey was a diplomat for the US for over 25 years. Angela, what would you do in a situation like this? Well, I think the best thing is to get the other person to try to think about whether or not they're correct or not, rather than you calling them on it, especially in a way that will cause them embarrassment. You know, like you could say something like, well, where did you hear, where did you hear that? That's really interesting. Oh, that's good. Because, because, you know, the Chinese have another saying, which is that if the horse has, you know, all three uh, legs up, so-and-so. Um, Wait, so you you, know. you make something up, too? Yeah, yeah, you can make up something. I, I would love to see um, sort of your your diplomatic skills on display. Can we try? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. I'm, I'll make a factual error, and um, as as gently as possible in your way, uh, maybe yeah. you could correct me. All right, I'll try. Okay. Um, I think uh, Michael J. Fox was amazing in Star Wars. Oh, I agree, Michael J. Fox. He's he's a really, really fine actor. Um which which uh which Star Wars film did you did, was he in? I don't remember seeing him in any. Yeah, yeah, he was in which the one fir- was he in? He was in the first one. He he played Han Solo. Oh, he did. Hmm. Wasn't the guy that played Han Solo a little bit taller than Michael J. Fox? I'm pretty sure it was Michael J. Fox. Hmm, oh, okay. Could be. Well, then, was that Harrison Ford who was on Family Ties? Wasn't there an actor named Harrison Ford? Maybe I'm getting him mixed up with Michael J. Fox. That's really good. Because, I mean, I think that uh, what happens when you're in the situation where somebody's making an error? It looks maybe it looks bad if you're correcting them, but in this whole thing, I I liked you the whole time. Like I never felt uh, sort of pushed into a corner or like I was uh, doing something wrong. Right. Good. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, that you have to realize that not only I was trained as a diplomat, but I was raised as a Southern girl, which you can tell from my accent. And, you know, in the South, you know, we put a high premium on being polite to people. Now, wh- where in the South are you from? I'm from Rome, Georgia. And is that a... I, I've heard that uh, in a lot of places in the South, if you want to uh, say something potentially insulting to somebody, as long as you preface it with, bless your heart, uh, 
it yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever do that as a diplomat? Um, I don't think I ever said bless your heart to a foreigner, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's always been one of my favorites in dealing with my own relatives. I had some, I had one of these come up recently with a relative of mine where. Well, I have to say that some of my relatives and I are on different, really far ends of the political spectrum. Okay. One of them said one of them said something that kind of was starting to push my button, and I had to remember, you know, what good biscuits this person makes <laughs> on Sunday. You know, I had yeah. to remember that. I had to remember that, and then um, I, I basically just kind of somehow changed the subject. Well, Angela, thank you so much for your time. Okay. All right, take care. And y'all don't now remember, don't make anybody feel bad today. Okay. Okay, we we're about to um, we're about to record a sound that uh, probably isn't going to make any sense. We're at Chicago's O'Hare Airport, the, you know, I think the busiest airport in the country. And we've just gone through a fence that is secure, that no one else is allowed to go through. We are now as close to the airport as you can get. Uh, w- without being a plane. And we're here with a herd of 45 animals. These are employees of the airport. They're sheep. They're a bunch of goats. Uh, there's a llama over there. Two burros. And Greg. Greg Woodward, I'm the chief animal herder. So O'Hare has a herd of, of goats and other animals for a few reasons. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, they use them as lawnmowers. So the sheep eat uh, things that goats don't. And then um, the llamas and wild burros protect the herd against coyotes and other predators. I've heard farmers do it, like cattle farmers will have, have the same thing. Really? They'll have a llama in the field. One farmer witnessed the alpaca grabbing a coyote by the tail and just whipping it around and send it sailing. Yeah. There's a actually pretty serious reason why they have these animals here. These animals eat the grass. The mice live in the grass, so there's no homes for the mice. And if there's no mice, that means there's no birds of prey. And if there are no birds of prey, there are no birds to hit the airplanes. Yeah, this, what they're doing here stops bird strikes. Can I say, this is just, for me, I mean, you, you see it a lot, but it seems so incongruous that we're here in this bucolic setting with these llamas, and and then next to us is a runway. Yeah, and they totally are oblivious to the comings and goings of the airplane. They From day one, they, they I had read somewhere that they may have to be acclimated. They just I could care less. They don't look, look up at the planes? <laughs> no. Hey, let's... Um, if we can, here's a plane coming in. I want to see if these, uh, if this is an alpaca. I want to see if he reacts. You didn't believe me, huh? <laughs> no reaction. He just went back to eating. <laughs> that was Rosie Angelino. She's the commissioner at the airport. That alpaca actually turned away from the Yeah, yeah he the just plane. was going about his business, which is eating and pooping. <laughs> 
I, I had for the first time the other day a friend was flying in and she looked out and saw the herd and just was so excited. And it's the first actual feedback I've gotten. A, have you talked to anybody that's seen them coming? People in? flying? Yeah, coming in. You it's, know, I've, people who've come to visit the, you know, and trying to right, kind right, of find right. the herd, right? So this is so many yeah. happen to look out and can just imagine the reaction to a lot of people. What? Huh? Yeah. You know, I, I know security is such a huge issue at any airport. Right. Um, did the animals have to be vetted in any way? They all have clean backgrounds. Okay. Yeah, came. <laughs> There's a man here in a suit. Uh, he looks sort of like he much more belongs in an office. This is David Robbins. We're going to go talk to him. Did you ever anticipate when you would reach this point in your life, at this point in your career, that at some point you'd be, you know, talking about your goals and that you'd have a burrow rubbing up against your, your belly? <laughs> No, no, no. You know, it's not something that you you, you consider. But you know, doing a uh, a large order, you know, uh, civil project sustainably. Yeah. You know, so it's just a follow-on to that that uh, concern. Well, you said that the program has taken on a life of its own, and I think as we're standing here, there are it looks like goats trying to create create life by chasing a female goat. I think that's what's happening there. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How often does that happen at the airport? The strangest Hey, uh, diplomat Angela Dickey, uh, isn't it amazing that they use cows to mow the grass at Chicago O'Hare Airport? They do? Wow. That is very interesting. Chicago cows must be smarter than our cows over here in Virginia. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess they're trained, you know. Ah, okay. Okay. Hmm. Isn't, I, I, now I always heard... Tell me if this is not true, that goats are the ones that will just eat anything. You know what? Isn't that true? I think it was goats. Uh Uh-huh. We heard from Brandy. She says she listens to the show while ironing her napkins. Brandy, these next 15 seconds are for you. Got a big party coming up, Brandy? Brandy, we need to talk about this. I love formal napkin settings. I mean, how how flat do they need to be? I think what you're doing is great. I think that I know from personal experience the ends of my napkins are often ruffled. I mean, I guess in a way I do iron my napkins insofar as I don't have napkins and I usually use my shirt to wipe my mouth. Do you iron your shirt? No. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that I could be flying into Chicago and look down as I approach the runway and see a herd of happy animals right there at the airport. Grazing. 
next to the next to the runway. Do you think the lazy animals, when they instead of they don't want to frolic from one side of the field, do you think they get one of those carts to drive them? They have a moving walkway, a moving frolic way. One thing I found weird about the herd: forty-five animals. Only yeah. only one of them had a name. Pip, the sheep, the little sheep Pip. It's gotta feel weird for the other animals when it's like, you, Burrow, get over yeah. here. Hey Pip. Oh, hey, Pip, how are you? What about me? I'm Edward R. Burrow. Now it's the part of our show where we talk about our sponsors, because we just want to talk about them. I can't help but talk about Igloo Software. You're always talking about Igloo Software. Well, there's a reason. Igloo makes an intranet you'd actually like. Did I say internet? No, I said intranet. You have always been passionate about intranets. Igloo does a great intranet. It's built with easy-to-use, integrated apps like file sharing, blogs, shared calendars, task management, everything you'd need to make your life better. I do have a lot of tasks. Well, there's a task manager, as I just said. Igloo is built with responsive design, so it will work on any device. Like a laptop? It doesn't specify. What about a smartphone? doesn't say any of the devices here, but it does say any device. What about a Motorola Razor? If your company has an internet that feels like it was built in the 90s and you want to take Igloo for a spin, go to igloosoftware.com slash everything. Yeah, and you can use it for free with up to 10 of your favorite people, uh, co-workers, customers, family members, uh, favorite historical figures. That's igloosoftware.com slash everything. Igloo, I-G-L-O-O, software.com slash everything. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Kelsey Hardison. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. Visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>